you, Greg. How are we doing this morning? Oh, come on. You can do better than that, people. Let's go. I know you got the Christmas uh, eggnog flowing and everyone's tired, but how are we doing this morning? Oh, that's much better. Okay, good. I knew you'd had it in you. I didn't want you to get beat by Saturday night's crew because, you know, they're a little smaller. So um, I have actually here a letter. Okay, you probably can't really see, but it's made out to Cornerstone Church, addressed to us, and um, I think you'd be interested in it because the return address just simply says, God. A letter from God. Who, wa- who wants to read it, right? So you're looking at me like maybe Jamie needs another week off. Is that... Pro- um, well, let's just pretend, okay, that it's from God. If we had a letter, and it just simply was a letter to give us a strategy as we're about to hit 2021, would you want to read it? Of course you would, right? Because uh, it's one thing to make resolutions. It's one thing to make uh, goals and set goals and all that. But wouldn't it be much better if God said, here's how I want you to approach life as you round into a a new year because we are obviously um, in, a, in a really weird spot as we go to a new year. still a ton of uncertainty uh, and a pandemic and uh, illness and, and grief and job and financial difficulties and loss. Um, the after effects as we've already seen, um, depression is way up, domestic violence way up, suicide way up drug and alcohol abuse way up, and we don't even know what the fallout will be. And not to mention political, all kinds of disagreements and anger, and, and right, that's the culture we're living in, and it's almost like 2021, we want to, you know what, we're good with quarantine, we'll just stay home, right? Because I don't want to deal with this. But God has a different plan for us. And he actually did write a letter, okay? Um, not this chicken scratch, that's clearly mine. Uh, he wrote a letter over, a little bit over 2,600 years ago to his people, and they were living in exile in Babylon. Now, we used the, the pen, it was actually physically written by the prophet Jeremiah, but as we're going to see, these are directly the words that God had for his people. And though our context is slightly different, we're not in exile, though it might feel like it at times, we are living in Babylon. Let's pray. Father, we, we come before you, and I pray, Lord, that the context of this letter preserved in the word of God for us now, so many centuries later, that you would help us to see how it applies to our families, to our communities, to our schools, to our lives, to our church. And Lord, that you would, we would not leave here without some really good input from you and how we should approach this new year. God, I pray for our students who are here. I pray for uh, right on up through our elderly, all different contexts, but all of us looking for a word from you, God, to help us as we approach incredibly uncertain times. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. So uh, this letter that I, I mentioned is actually found, if you want to, uh, we'll put it on the screen, but if you want to open your Bibles or turn them on, it's Jeremiah uh, chapter 29. All right, if you need your uh, table of contents, there is no shame in that, okay? Uh, it's in the Old Testament, and um, since we're, we're doing this, this message and next message are kind of uh, topical, even though we are looking at, at one passage, it, it's sort of as we approach a new year, how God wants us to approach it. It's how I really felt led to, to give messages on that. And um, so since we're jumping in the middle of Jeremiah, we need to know context, because context is 
everything, right? Well, maybe not everything, but context is incredibly, incredibly important as we look at this. So, so uh, um, the, 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 the chapter 29, up until this time, had been kind of a, a lot of negative warnings from Jeremiah, but let's backtrack. You see, if you look at Israel, when they were formed, you had, you know, three kings as a whole united kingdom. But then after Solomon died, his sons didn't get along, and they had civil war. So you had the ten tribes of the north that was called Israel, capital Samaria, and they had their own king, right? You had the two tribes of the south, and they were called Judah, and they had, the capital there was Jerusalem. They had their own king. It was still the Davidic line, the one it should be. But they lived that way, not really getting along, and for the most part, neither nation doing very good at following God. Right? The north was worse. So they were conquered by Assyria. But Judah was still around. They still had their king, the Davidic line, and they were still in the capital, Jerusalem. But they were being warned by Jeremiah and other prophets over and over for decades. God's good patience is going to run out. He's tired of you uh, following other gods, doing what you please, acting like all the other nations in the world. And, and so if you don't turn back, if you don't repent, God will judge. And it crystallized more and more and more that he was going to use a foreign nation, specifically Babylon. And so this uh, is most of the first part, first half of Jeremiah, is, are those warnings, right? You get to 29, you start to get more of a note of hope, of there will be a new covenant. I will restore you. I will bring you home. And the reason for that is because the exile has happened now. This is just shortly after 597 B.C., and the first wave of Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians have taken over Judah, Jerusalem, and the Davidic king has now been exiled. Most of their important people, priests, prophets, they've been in exile. And so now Jeremiah, he's still in Jerusalem. He, didn't get, he wasn't in exile. Jeremiah wants to give a message from the Lord to those living in exile. That's the context. These people are angry. They're hurt. They've seen family members die. They've been taken from their home. They feel abandoned by God. Why is this happening? Why would he let this horrible country like Babylon do this? Even though if they had just read their Bibles, they would have known this was coming, right? But that's their context. Sad, frustrated, angry, right? So in that, let's look at verse 1. It says, These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Okay, so he wants everyone to receive this letter. It says in verse 2, This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah, and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. So important people, including the Davidic king, King Jeconiah. He's gone now, right? There's a puppet king who's now that Nebuchadnezzar set up, right? So he says, The letter was sent by the hand of Elassah, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, that's the puppet king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. That's the one if you get a reading assignment in church, you don't want that, right? All those Old Testament names. But the, 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 the idea here is that there is an official convoy from this uh, puppet king, Zedekiah, to uh, Babylon. And so Jeremiah the prophet, he knows people in high places. He wants to send his letter with this convoy that's going to Babylon. Okay, so it says this. This is what it says. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Stop before verse 5. 
So a couple things here. First, this is how we know that though Jeremiah the prophet wrote it, this letter, going to Babylon, is directly from the Lord. This isn't Jeremiah's interpretation. He's not a pastor kind of taking a text and, and trying to apply it. He's just like, hey, this is from God. Read it, right? This is directly from the Lord your God. And the first thing, though it's, you don't necessarily pick up on it, but you have to. It's the first thing that would have flown into the face of these people. He says, this is to the people in the exile whom what? Whom I have sent into exile. I've done it to you, right? Because they're in exile, and they're thinking, God doesn't want this. This is an enemy. This is, they've crushed our, our temple, our homeland. This can't be from God. And God, the first thing God says is, I put you there. This is from me. You are placed in Babylon by me. And so now God's going to say, you're in exile. I've put you there. This is how I want you to approach it. This is how I want you to live. Verse 5. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Now that seems kind of weird, but think about what God's saying here. Because there were false um, prophets, as we're about to see, in Babylon with them. And they preached a very different message. Their message was, well, certainly God doesn't want this. This is only temporary. God's going to do something. He's going to bring us home. Don't even worry about it. It's going to be really soon. God's on our side. God isn't judging us, all of this other stuff. And so, so you imagine, if you're listening to those prophets in exile, you might be like, well, I'm not going to build a house because houses are for more permanent things, aren't they? And I'm not going to plant a garden. I'm out of here. I'm not even going to see the produce of my garden. But God says, build houses. <laughs> Live your lives. Plant gardens. Why? Because you're going to be there a while. And so I want you to live your life in exile, right? And he continues to that. He says, take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Really important. You know, I've heard people say it, right? Why would I bring a child into this world, right? You've thought it. I don't know if I want a kid to be brought up in 2021 and, and, and all the stuff that's going on in the culture and the things we got to battle as God's people. and ugh, I don't, I'm not sure. I might just protect them and wait, wait for God to do something different, right? And so God's plan is never that. It's always to increase, not decrease. You're in exile, yes. Build homes, plant gardens, have kids, have grandkids. He's saying the best thing to do in exile as God's people is to increase God's people, right? Because Babylon in uh, the Bible has always been representative of the city of man, which we've had many of, including today. America is also a city of man. It is not the city of God. It is a city of man. It is ultimately people after power, people after money, comforts, pleasures, and almost always end up taking advantage of the weak, the poor, the sick, the downtrodden. That's the city of man. That was Babylon. That was Assyria. That was Greece. That was Rome. That's every civilization, right? And so the question becomes, how is God's people, how do we live as God's people in the city of man? with all of that around us, and God says, increase, don't decrease, don't shrink back, don't hide, build, plant, increase. But then, that's one thing, right? But verse 7 is when God, at least from the exile's point of view, gets really crazy, right? Watch, verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city, that's Babylon, where I have sent you into exile, 
and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Three times there's a word there. It's the prominent uh, theme of that verse. What is it? Someone say it. Welfare. In Hebrew, that's a word I'll bet you've heard before. It's called shalom. If you know someone who's Jewish, they often will greet each other. Shalom. It means peace. But it means God's peace. Peace with God and peace with one another. And it means to have this wholeness of, of health and peace and how God wants you to live your life. To shalom. And, and so, so shalom is everything to God's people. And God says, here's what I want you to do. While you're living in enemy territory, right, in exile, build homes, plant, increase, right, and seek shalom for Babylon. Pray for Babylon. What? Like, these people, this isn't like hundreds of years later. They had been captured and brought here. They, these are their enemy. The false prophets are telling them God's going to crush them. And now Jeremiah sends them a letter that says, no, no, actually God wants you to seek their shalom. Pray for their shalom. Because if the community you live in is full of shalom, then so shall you. And so this would be absolutely shocking to them. Do you know this is the first place the only place, I should say, in the Old Testament where God commands his people to seek the welfare and pray for your enemies. But it all foreshadows Christ who will someday say, love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you. This was mind-boggling to them. How could we possibly seek shalom for Babylon? Well, that's what he says to do. And he goes on and he says, because he knows that this will fly in the face of things that they've been told. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets, really important word there, and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. And we're going to find, if you, we're not going to, but if you go after chapter 29, a letter comes back in response from a prophet in, uh, in exile. Just like throughout Jeremiah's ministry, it's people telling him he's crazy, they're still saying, Jeremiah's crazy, don't listen to him. God's going to do something quick. Don't build homes, we're out of here soon. We're going home. He's going to rebuild our temple. He's going to save us. He's going to restore us, right? And here's Jeremiah saying, don't listen to them. They are your prophets, they are not mine. They are prophets in exile who build big crowds because they love to tickle your ears. You know what that means? Ah. I love hearing that. Oh, tell me that again. Everything's going to be okay, Jamie. You don't need to change. God is happy with you, right? Ooh, I'm going to that church. Makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. And Jeremiah says, don't listen to them. They're not from God. They're false prophets taking advantage of your situation. That is not God's message at all. Instead, verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. So God will restore. Yes, he will, but it's going to be 70 years, right? We know from history that's exactly what happened. But 70 years to us, biblical time, that doesn't sound like that much. But if you were receiving this letter and say you're 30 years or older, guess what? You're probably not going to make it. <laughs> You're going to be 100 years old when this happens, right? Or more. Uh, if you're a teenager, maybe you'll be an old man or woman and you'll make it, right? But most likely, it's your kids and grandkids that are actually going to be the recipients of God's grace in this. There's restoration. You're going to be left in exile for 70 years, 
right? I will do it. It's just going to not be in your timeline and how you want it to be. This is my plan, right? My purpose. He says in verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for shalom, welfare, and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. How many of you have ever heard that verse before? Some of you have it on a t-shirt or a coffee cup or something like that. Now you really know the context of it. And it is something that you can claim as your own, but you've got to remember what God is saying, that this welfare is his welfare, his peace, what he wants for you, for us as God's people. But that's what he was saying, that, that it's going to take time, and you're going to have to live in exile, and it's going to be hard, and there's going to be grief, and there's going to be pain, but I got you. My plan for you is never to abandon you forever, to leave you, to not to give you evil, but instead to give you peace, to give you a future, to give you a hope. He says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So this impartial was fulfilled 70 years later, but much, much more fulfilled later on in the coming of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he dies for us, right, we now have the ability to approach God, to seek him with all of our heart. And so in many ways, he is actually looking forward to the church age, which we live now. The ability to seek God with everything we have. And he concludes, at least our, our portion that we're going to look at, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. And so the the letter flies in the face of their, what they really want to hear is, let's do this now. But the ultimate uh, fulfillment of what he's uh, pointing to, the promise is, I will restore you. I am your God. I've got you. I will save you. You will seek me. You will find me. Right? But in the meantime, you got to live in exile. You got to live in Babylon. So this is a message for God's people over 2,600 years ago. So we do need to be careful of context. We're not in actual Babylon, although I say that. Last night, um, Abby, who is Bob and Nita's um, daughter, uh, is visiting for Christmas and, and New Year's, and she actually lives in Babylon. <laughs> so um, Babylon, New York, though, so it's a little bit different. Um, but for her, she could actually say, yeah, I do live in Babylon. Well, we don't live in Babylon. God didn't punish us that I'm aware of. I just know that, that, that we live where we are because we are being punished, right? But the point is we do have our own time. We have our own place, our own culture, and much of it we don't like. Much of it we're af- afraid of the future and, and not really sure what God is doing. And, and, and has he abandoned us? And, 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 and what, what's going to happen in 2021? And, and, and how should we react? And so as God's people living in a place like that, how should we approach it? All right, so here's some really uh, quick hitters for you. And, and I want it to be as practical as I can. So, so when, you, when you leave here, you can say, all right, this is a plan. And whatever that means for your context, your family, your, 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 whatever you, it means for you, that, that I think we can all take something from this. Remember the, the, the first thing from verse 4 that, that I, I had pointed out, that the Lord said, I put you into Babylon. Right, so the first point for us today right, is that God placed you where you are. I know, really complicated stuff. That's why they pay me the big bucks, right? But we don't always think of it that way. We're not always happy where we're at. 
where we live, our circumstances. Oh, I can't wait to be somewhere else, to, to, to do something else, to go somewhere. And that's fine to have plans, but do you pray about those? Do you, you say, well, I, I mean, because I'll be honest, like I was born and bred here in New England, and, and, and for the most part, I'm, I guess I'm happy about that, but I make no qualms about it. I like three of the seasons, and I absolutely detest winter. It's cold, it's expensive, it's messy. I don't get fresh air. I don't care about sledding. I don't care about snowmen. And I don't care about snowshoeing or whatever it is you people do. All right? God bless you. You like it, some of you, right? I don't. Oh, I love sweatshirt weather. I do not. I have lots of sweatshirts, and I don't like them, right? I like T-shirts. I like to sweat. I'd rather run in 90-degree heat than see my breath, right? That's me. So there's times where I'm like, God, I'm just going to move somewhere warmer. Like Hawaii. They need pastures there. That'd be good. But God says no. I have you here, right? So that's how I got to look at it. I ha- he has you here, right now. And before, and maybe you're younger and you're going to think about going to college or you're going to think about, you know, where am I going to settle my family? Pray about it. I mean, maybe God will bring you to Hawaii or somewhere warmer or colder, <laughs> right? And maybe he will do that. But don't forget to actually ask him and say, ultimately, Lord, I want to be where you want me to be, not where I want to be. Because they don't want to be in Babylon, and God says, I put you in Babylon. So maybe you don't want to be here right now, but God says, I put you there. I know a pastor who was, um, his whole life pretty much, and, and even the church he was pastoring was suburban Massachusetts. And, um, and he was happy there. He felt his family was safe there. Everything was good. And then he and his wife felt this strong pull to start a church in Boston, in the city. He had wanted nothing to do with living in the city. He didn't like it. He didn't want to. But God called him to the city, so he did it. Because he says, it's ultimately what the Lord wants me to do. And so think, so A, don't ever think it's up to you, it's up to the Lord. Ask him. I know it's weird. It's like, well, is he going to tell me where to go? He will show you if you ask him. Right? And, 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 if, and if he wants you to move, he wants you to go to the city, he wants you to go to the country, he wants you to stay right here, he will show you that. And as he's doing that, right, God puts you where you are, live. Build houses, live in apartments, grow gardens, have families, have godly families, right? Because we live in the city of man as the people of God. And so God says, don't recede, push out, right? Increase, be a presence in the city, in the darkness. That's what God wants. It's not easy. It's hard, right? We, we, we sometimes get frustrated and we want to fight back, but God says, no, no, no. I want you to be my people in exile, wherever you are. Second, um, remember the tickling ears. Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Oh, Jamie, what does that have to do with us? We all have guys walking around calling themselves prophets. Beware of pretend prophets. Oh, yes, we do. <laughs> Whether they call themselves prophets or not, sometimes they call themselves pastors or motivational speakers. Sometimes they're in pulpits in churches much bigger than this one. And you might easily find their best-selling book, their podcast, their YouTube channel. And they sound so motivational, so exciting and interesting, right? That's good. I think motivating and exciting and interesting, I think we should strive for that. But, but let me tell you that if me or, or, or Pastor Bob or whoever else is up here, if, if we ever do that to forsake the word of God, tie us up and kick us out of here. 
If you don't ever leave here saying, man, I really wanted to give Jamie that five-finger sandwich because I felt, maybe you don't actually want to punch me, that's good, but I felt challenged because God's word challenges. You see, what we have, because when you are in a tough situation, what you want to hear is everything's fine. Even if everything's burning down around you, your life is fine. Your view on sexuality is fine. Your view on money is fine. It's okay. God's going to bless you no matter how your life is going, no matter what you're doing. The problem with that is just not found in Scripture, right? God is uh, for you, but because he's for you, he's changing you. He's challenging your view of life. And so the false prophets say, oh, it's okay. And they tickle your ears and build big crowds because it's easier to do that because most people want to hear what they want to hear. Beware of that. If it's A, always tickling your ears and making you feel, oh, so fluffy inside, and B, if it's not the word of God, if it just kind of uses phrases like God and Jesus and the Bible, but it doesn't actually come from the word of God, beware, it's a false prophet. And they will lead you thinking you're smiling and happy right down the road to destruction. It's always been that way. False prophets going against God's word. Also, as we get back to our community, remember verse 7, that crazy verse. But seek the shalom of the city where I have sent you into exile. Right? Seek the shalom of your community. I really believe as you kind of approach, as we together approach 2021, this is God's plan for us too. To whenever possible and in whatever way possible to seek shalom of our community, not just the Christians we know or the good people we like that we know. We are to push out and seek the welfare of where we live. We are to be a people that's your family, that's you, that's our church, that if we were taken away, that our community would say, man, we miss them desperately. Now, does that mean you're never controversial? You never make people angry? No, because seeking shalom sometimes means challenging. It always means, always means standing for justice, especially for those who can't for themselves. That's why God's people have always stood for the poor, the widow, the orphan, the unborn in the womb. We always have and we always will. And that sometimes makes us unpopular, but that is seeking shalom for people who can't seek it themselves. That's what God's people do. That's what we must do. But in every way we can to push out and say, what can we do, right? Whose walk can I shovel? Can I bring your garbage to the dump? Can I buy you groceries? Can I make you a meal? Can I sit and listen? Can I, what can I do? Uh, maybe next week I'll, I'll bring, I just was given a couple of, uh, a few letters written by uh, a few of the kids who, we, who you bought all those angel tree gifts for. Those kids wouldn't have had a Christmas if it weren't for you. They're in our community. They're families that that are really downtrodden, and many of them, most of them, are not Christian families, and yet they feel shalom because of you. All right, we just got a letter from one of uh, a school nurse in our community. You, maybe you didn't know this, but contributing to the Samaritan Fund, you sent uh, those fruit bouquet things. You know, I love those better than real flowers because you can eat them, right? And they usually have some chocolate somewhere in there, too. And we sent them to uh, some of our local school nurses. 
because that job went from kind of hard to impossible this year. And we just wanted them to know, we love you. We care about you. What can we do? All right? Well, whatever it might be, we just say, we want our community to have shalom, welfare, and to seek it. And so 2021, just each and every one of us say, what am I doing to build the welfare of where I live? To make it better, not worse, right? And so to go along with that, not, he didn't just say seek, but what did he say? Pray. At the very least, you're like, I'm not really sure what I can do. You can definitely pray for your community, can't you? Right? Pray for the shalom of your community. And that sometimes, like they in Babylon, it meant pray for people that they really, really hated. These people destroyed our lives. They captured us. We saw them kill people. This was horrible. This, Babylon wasn't some nice little kingdom. They were some of the most vicious people on the planet has ever seen. And yet, God says, live there, increase there, and pray for them. Pray for them, for their shalom, right? And so our job is to pray for the welfare of our community, a lot easier than Babylon, where we live. So wherever that might be, wherever God might have you, do you pray? Instead of railing against your leaders, maybe pray for them. There's a novel idea. Right? Instead, of, uh, instead of being upset with this or that, pray for your police, pray for your first responders, pray for your local hospital and, and, and the nurses and doctors. Pray for your teachers. Instead of saying, well, I really wish they were better at this Zoom thing, maybe pray for them. They had no idea this was coming. Pray for them. Pray for their welfare. Pray, and tell them you're praying for them. It's so good to do that because then when someone says, I'm praying for you, man, it feels great, doesn't it? And tell them that you're praying. Here's one of the things that we're working on for the spring. And, and, and Pastor Bob, who oversees our groups, it was his idea. And he, he's going to put together a short-term small group that you can join that just does that. Your whole idea is to pray for our community. And he's reaching out to different elements of our community to get what can we be praying for. Contacted the police, the fire department, different schools, and, and just meet together and pray. Go on prayer walks. Pray for the homes and the marriages as you walk past. Pray for the kids as you see. Pray for the schools and the teachers. You see the hospital, pray for that. Just pray for your community. Imagine if we did that. It's really hard to hate those who you are praying for. And so God calls us to do that, to seek shalom and pray for shalom. So then there's these last two that we'll close with, and that is, um, if you remember verse 12, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. 2021, if you're like, all right, I'm supposed to pray for this, I'm supposed to do this. How do I do this? I don't really know how to do it. Well, if you do this, it will all flow from here. Seek God above everything. Just 2021, say, I'm going to stop listening to ear-tickling prophets, and I'm going to start looking to his word. Seek God above everything. Remember, uh, Jeremiah was a great prophet that pointed to Christ. Now we, in this age, you can have this relationship with God because Christ died for you. We can boldly approach the throne of grace because Christ died for us. So the first step is trust in Christ, right? If you have put all of your faith in Christ. The Bible says you're forgiven, you're made clean, you're restored, you're redeemed, and now you can seek God with all of your heart. And so, if that's you, seek him, right? How do you do that? It cannot be done without his word. It just can't be. 
To if, if you've fallen off or you've never really had a habit of reading his word, start. There's no better New Year's resolution than reading God's word every day. Do that. Pray every day. Right? And I'm not, I don't really know how to pray. Just start. Ask someone you know. How do you pray? Pray every day. Talk to God. There's nothing thee and thou and weird religious phrases. Just talk to God every day. You can't see God above everything if you don't pray. You can't see God above everything if you don't worship. That's why we're here now, hearing his word, responding to it, singing songs about Christ and, 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 and giving him the worship that he deserves. See God in 2021 with your money, with your finances, with your marriage. Whatever that God is revealing to you right now, just say, all right, 2021, I'm going to seek God above everything. If you do that, it all flows downstream. And suddenly you are looking for the welfare of your community because you're seeking God above everything. And lastly from that letter, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for shalom and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Believe God above everything. Now that sounds so nice in church, but remember who this letter was written to? Exiles, pain, in some cases torment. Everything's gone. My homeland's gone. My family's gone. My temple's gone. And God says, hey, believe in me. Trust me. Like, are you kidding me? How am I going to believe in God? He's abandoned us here. We're in exile. And God says, no, I haven't abandoned you. I've got you. It's going to be longer than you want. You're in a situation maybe you don't want, but I have you, and I have the purposes and the plans for you. I'm not done with you yet. I have big plans. All you have to do is not try to figure out what those plans are. Just believe me. And so for us, get to know the promises of God in his word for you if you're a Christian. And believe them every day, whatever your grief is, whatever your pain is. Believe God. Believe him through tears. Believe him through laughter. Believe him on the hills. Believe him in the valleys. Believe God because he's got you. He's formed you. He will restore you. He will redeem you. He has plans for you and a purpose for you. And he isn't done with you yet. He prunes, he challenges, he tears apart so he can build up. Believe him. Believe God with all of your heart in 2021. Whatever's going on, whatever I don't like, I'm going to trust him. God's got this. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to put him above everything, and I'm going to believe him with everything. Let's pray. God, we pray because prayer matters. It's effectual. You listen. You care. It's amazing that you care. But you do. Lord, thank you for that letter written centuries and centuries ago. I pray that you would apply it to our lives. I pray that whatever that might be, as we face a new year full of all kinds of stuff, we probably, uh, some of it we like, but a lot of it we don't. A lot of it, Lord, we wish was different We pray that you will change, but God, I pray that as we approach it as your people living in the city of man, as the people of God, that you would show us the way that we would believe you above everything. We'd put you above everything. You would show us how to seek the welfare of where we live, to pray for the welfare of the people in our communities. Lord, 
that we would, you'd open up ways that we as a church, we as families can seek the welfare of where we live. Lord, protect our ears from false prophets, from those who would teach things contrary to your word, that we wouldn't succumb to that, that we would stay entrenched in your truth of how you look at our world. Oh, Lord, I pray for anyone in the room who just needs Jesus today, that they need to approach you in repentance and seeking you because you died for them, Lord, that today would be that day that they cry out in faith to Christ. Lord, that we would seek you because we know that when we do, we find you. Lord, I pray for our homes, our communities. I pray for our schools, our teachers, our nurses and doctors and hospitals, our first responders, our, our, those living in our communities, marriages that are struggling, those struggling with addiction, those struggling with grief. Father, that you would lift them, that we would be a part of the solution not a part of the problem. We would be seen as a light in the darkness of this world. Lord, that we would see this time and place as your time and your place for us. We can only do this wholeheartedly with your strength. We ask this in our great Savior, Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.